Good evening, everybody. Stop being friendly. <laughs> I like it. Nice job. Way to say hi and be friendly and all that. It's very good stuff. How are you guys doing today? Good. Good day? Yeah? Get a nap today? No. I did in the hammock. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I made you jealous right here in church. I'm sorry about that. I didn't mean to do that. Um, hey, so I... Um, I've been telling stories about my children. I just realized this weekend, I've been telling stories about my children in church for 30 years. They hate it. <laughs> but, so, but I'm going to tell another one. So um, a lot of you know, well, they're not here. So if you didn't like it, you should just stay here and show up. No, never mind. So can we edit that part out? Can we start over? Let me <laughs> rewind the clock. So a lot of you know, my younger daughter, both my girls got married this year. My younger daughter got married back in July. It's been about two months now. And... Uh, and they moved to, El- yeah, cool, huh? It's beautiful. I got distracted, sorry. So um, she, moved, she moved with her husband to L.A., and they were setting up down there and stuff. So last week, my daughter got her first career job, like in her career path, right? It's like, yeah, it's so cool. You know, you thought it was cool when they start to walk? Well, when they walk into a job, that's pretty nice. So it's fun, right? And so... Um, she had to fly to Omaha, Nebraska for interviews for this thing. It's kind of a national company, and so they interviewed her in L.A. where her job's going to be, but they flew her out to Omaha. And so I talked to her. She's in her hotel room on Tuesday night. The next day, on Wednesday, she's going to have like a whole day of interviews. It's my daughter. <laughs> Hang in there with me, honey. Um, anyway, so, um, so we're, we're talking on the phone from Omaha, and the next day she's got all these interviews signed up and stuff. So we're talking, and she goes, Dad, it's the weirdest thing. This morning I was dropped off at the airport by my husband. And I'm in a business suit, and I'm on my first business trip to Omaha to meet with the HR department of a company. When did I become a grown-up? I'm like, that's easy, honey. About six weeks ago when you left me for another man. I'm, I'm over it. <laughs> you think? <laughs> I don't think so. So I wonder if we could take that same thought that she had. When did I become a grown-up? And I don't know if you ever remember that stage in your life or if you've got kids that are in that stage. I don't know how that goes for you. But I wonder if you can take that same concept, when do I become a grown-up, and put it into your spiritual life. If you can track that with Jesus and go, when do I become a grown-up? In regard to Jesus, when do I become a spiritual grown-up? Or to put it in the terms that we're talking about these days as we're doing this series called Like Jesus, when do I become like Jesus? Because nobody shows up at Jesus fully formed spiritually. Nobody shows up as a full-grown, passionate, and productive follower of Jesus right from day one. Everybody has to grow up. So last week we're talking about the growth chart on the door. Like everyone had a growth chart. Everyone measured themselves physically as they're growing up, but we don't measure ourselves spiritually so much. And yet none of us arrives with Jesus fully formed. None of us arrives at Jesus perfectly formed as a spiritual adult or even more a spiritual parent. Nobody shows up that way. We all have to grow into it. And there's not a spiritually mature person in your life who didn't have to grow into that track. When do I become a spiritual grown-up? Or think of it this way, we all like Jesus, but how do we become like Jesus? 
Back in 2004, there's a woman named Sarah Young who wrote a book, kind of a controversial book, very popular, very successful book in terms of sales, and, uh, but controversial. And the book is called Jesus Calling. Anybody read it? Yeah. And if you've read it, you're like, what's controversial about that? It's a fantastic book. It helped me in my life. And I'm like, I, I agree. It's great. It's wonderful. I'm not trying to say it's not good. I'm just saying it's been controversial. And one of the reasons it's been, con- the reason it's been controversial is because the writer, Sarah Young, puts words into the mouth of Jesus. She says, this is what Jesus is saying. And as a preacher, I'm like, just a little bit of caution here. It's a risky thing to put words in the mouth of Jesus. And preachers do it all the time. So I get that. And the truth is, Jesus is calling. The book's called Jesus Calling. And he is calling. He's calling every single one of us. In fact, it's the character of God to call people. We've seen that character of God ever since the Garden of Eden. As soon as Adam and Eve said to God, we'd like to be our own God. Stay out of the way, please. We'll do it ourselves. As soon as that happened, God started calling to human beings. In the Garden of Eden, he called Adam. Adam's just the Hebrew word for man. So God's in the garden. And maybe he's saying, Adam, Adam, where are you? Or maybe he's saying, hey, man, where are you? He's calling to him. And forever after, God has been calling human beings. And when Jesus was on earth, he called human beings. And when Jesus sits at the right hand of God the Father in heaven, he is calling human beings. And he is calling you. And he's calling me. There's not a person in the room today whom Jesus is not calling. And you may feel a long, long way from God, but there's not a person in the room whom Jesus is not calling. And the moment you answer Jesus' call is the moment you begin to become like Jesus. And you don't become like him all at once. Nobody does. But the moment you answer his call, you begin to become like Jesus. I want to show you some stories today in the scriptures where Jesus called people and they responded, and I want to see what happens to them. Because we're talking, we're talking these days about becoming like Jesus and what's that doing in us and what does God want to do in us. And so I want you to see these stories and then just see how it relates to us. So if you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 19. I want to read for you one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Many of you have read it before. Some of you maybe have not, but let me read it for you. It's Luke chapter 19. If you don't have a Bible with you, we've got some on the chairs near you. Reach over and grab one. You can take that Bible home with you. It's yours to have if you want. If that one's too beat up, grab another one that's nicer and take that home with you. That's fine. Or you can just listen if you want. That's fine too. So Luke chapter 19, starting at verse 1, here's the story. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. 
And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. Because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. It's one of my favorite stories in the scripture. Zach or Zacchaeus was not really a social climber. He was the chief tax collector in his town of Jericho. He ran the local office of the Israeli Revenue Service, the IRS, and, uh, and nobody liked him because his office was connected to the Roman government and he collected taxes not only for Israel but also for the Romans and he cheated people out of a lot of money. He had a whole office staff of other agents who worked beneath him and so it's him as a chief tax collector and a bunch of other tax collectors and they would be in what we would call his oikos, his network. And all of them are hated by the people of Israel. They're not well loved in Jewish society but Zacchaeus himself wanted to see Jesus, had the same passion that I have. I want to see Jesus. The same passion that a lot of you have, you want to see Jesus. The challenge was that Zacchaeus was a Starbucks tall. I'll wait for it. Yeah, he's not very tall. He's sort of like vertically challenged, right? Last week we're talking about growth charts and we're talking about everybody's got a growth chart and Jesus had a growth chart and John the Baptist had a growth chart and you had a growth chart. Well, these growth charts, right? We're kind of measuring children and seeing where they stand on the, on the list. Here's Zacchaeus. He's vertically challenged. He can't see over the crowd to see Jesus when he's coming by. So I'm like, well, where is Zach on the, on the growth chart? I'm like, he had to be somewhat shorter than me. It had to be. There's no other options, right? So I, I got Zacchaeus right about here. That's, that's about right, right about here. Yeah. And he can't see anything, right? He hears this big crowd. Jesus is coming his direction. He hears this big crowd. He's like, I want to see Jesus, but he can't. But he knows the road that Jesus is on. And so he's like, I'm going to go climb that tree. He goes down the road, climbs a big sycamore fig tree. Have you ever looked that up? Let me show you a picture of a sycamore fig tree. Look at that. That's a cool tree. And you can't see it, but the roots of that tree are all above ground. They're all gnarly, and you can climb on them. And he climbs up in this sycamore fig tree. Now, we have this sort of picture that Zacchaeus was trying to kind of hide in the tree. But when you look at most of those sycamore fig trees, the, the leaves are way up high, and then the branches down below are all open. They're huge. They're great places to perch for a while, but not a great place to hide. So here's Zacchaeus. He climbs on the tree. Why? He's got one motivation. He will do anything to see Jesus. He will risk humiliation to see Jesus. He climbs up in this tree because he wants to see Jesus and Jesus sees him. Which is exactly what happens in your life. Like, oh, I want to see Jesus. I want to see Jesus in my life. And you go, Jesus goes, I already see you. He's you he sees you first. He's looking for you. The story says Jesus sees Zacchaeus and he walks up to Zacchaeus and he says, Hey, Zacchaeus, I want, you to, I want you to come down. I'm going to your house for lunch today. Oh, and by the way, I want to spend the night. What do you do when the rabbi, the most famous rabbi in the country, comes by your tree and he goes, I want to, stay, I want to go to your house and I want to spend the night? What do you do? 
Come on, come on over, get out of the tree, and come on, Jesus, let's go. So my wife, I was gone, I was gone up in the mountains a couple weeks ago for a little planning study retreat that I do every year, every summer, and I was going to be gone for a week or so, and so Donna called up one of her good friends, and she, she said, I'm sorry, I didn't give permission to tell this story, but she's going to love it. <laughs> she's giggling already. <clears throat> Are we good? We're not good. <laughs> so my wife gets on the phone with one of her good friends, and she goes, hey, would it be all right if you called me over for dinner? I'm like, that's so cool. I mean, who does that? My wife. It's all right. It's all right. Because for years, you know, people, you know, people want us to come over for dinner or whatever sometimes. And people will say, hey, you know, Pastor Brad. Um, oh, no, no. We, we'd do it. Let me, let me change this around. We would say, hey, let's have so-and-so over for dinner. So I'd go to them. I'm like, hey, you want to come over for your dinner? And they go, oh, no, no. We want to have you guys over. I'm, I'm like, okay. <laughs> and my wife gave me grief about that for years. Hmm. Would it be all right if you guys called and invited me over for dinner? That's what Jesus did for Zacchaeus. He's like, hey, Zacchaeus, I'd like to come over to your house for, for dinner. Would you invite me? And could I spend the night? And so Zacchaeus is all cranked up. He's like, sure. Come. He comes down. He takes him to his house. But on the way, what's Zacchaeus doing? When you got the most famous person in the country, the most famous rabbi in the country coming to your house for dinner, what do you do along the path? You invite everybody you can find who likes you. Who are the people that like Zacchaeus? Only the other tax collectors. They called it an oikos. We call it an oikos. It's the Greek word for house or household or network. And Jesus comes to this party and Zacchaeus is so moved by what happens when he's in relationship to Jesus that he says, to everybody who's there, he says, you know what? I'm going to take everything I own. He's a wealthy man. I'm going to take everything I own. I'm going to cut it in half. I'm going to give half of all of it to the poor right now. And then he goes, and you know what? If I've cheated anybody, well, he cheated just about everybody. And he was an accountant, so he had it all written down. They could prove it from his records. He goes, and if I've cheated anybody, I'm going to pay them back four times the amount, which is what the law called for. And Jesus, I think Jesus was laughing by this time, and he says, Today, salvation has come to this house. That's weird. What, don't, you believe, don't you believe Christ for yourself? Do you get to believe Christ for others? Like, and you say, I want my cousin to become a follower of Jesus, so I'm going to trust Jesus for them, and then they'll be there. Is that how it works? Everybody stands on their own, don't they? Everyone stands on their own before God. Don't we have to believe God for ourselves? How is it that Jesus can say, today salvation came to this house? It's because when Jesus called Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus called his house, which means his network, which means all those tax collectors in his oikos. Jesus called Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus called his oikos. They all came over. And you think Zacchaeus's life was the only one that was changed that day? It's like there was a revolution in the IRS in Jericho that day. Because there was a revolution in the heart of everybody in his oikos. And on this day, salvation has come to this house, Jesus said, because this man also is a son of Abraham. 
Jesus called Zacchaeus out of the tree. Jesus called Zacchaeus to his own house for dinner. And Jesus called Zacchaeus a son of Abraham. Which is another way of saying, Zacchaeus, you are a real member of the household of God. You are a real member of the household of God. And Zacchaeus is thinking, nobody's ever called me that before. Jesus is calling. Now let me read another story about how that calling looks. In Acts chapter 9, if you have your Bibles out, you can follow along with this one. Acts chapter 9, there's another story. We're skipping over the rest of Jesus' life. We're skipping over his death on the cross. We're skipping over his resurrection. We're skipping over his ascension. We're skipping over the beginning of the church in Acts chapter 2, and we're moving later on in the life of church history. And now we come to this man named Saul, who we would later know as the Apostle Paul, but not yet. At this point, he's not following Jesus In fact, he's doing the opposite. And here's his story. Acts 9, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, which is another name for the Christian church in that generation, um, an early name for the church, If he found any belonging to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Saul is on a mission trip to Damascus. He started in Jerusalem, and he made his way up to Damascus in what is now Syria. And he's got letters from the chief priest to carry out his mission. Now, what's his mission? Saul's mission was to transform as many people as possible who were already passionate and productive followers of Jesus. And the transformation was going to look like this. I'm going to arrest you. I'm going to haul your sorry soul back to Jerusalem. And I'm going to put you on trial for heresy. And at best, you're going to spend the rest of your life in jail and maybe we'll take you out. Like, take you out. That's what the transformation is going to look at. He's like, I'm on a mission. Well, he's getting close to Damascus, and all of a sudden he sees a bright light, and then the lights go out, and he hears a voice, and the voice says, Saul, Saul, which is Jesus trying to get his attention because he's not listening to that voice. He's not listening for that voice. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul's like, I'm not persecuting anybody. I'm on a mission here. I got to arrest people and try them for heresy. He's like, no, no, why are you persecuting me? He goes, who are you? The voice said, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. He goes, oh, I don't even believe in Jesus. Jesus said, yeah, but I believe in you. Go into the city. Wait. 
and I'll give you more instructions later. Verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord answered, but the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. Jesus called Ananias. He said, hey, Ananias, there's a guy, there's a guy up in the city, and he's praying. And his name is Saul. He's from Tarsus. Oh, Ananias goes, oh, I've heard about him. Lord, he's a bad dude. I just as soon not go over there. Jesus says, did I mention that he was praying? Ananias might have been thinking, I don't care if he's praying or I don't know what he's doing, but I don't want to go over there. Because he could arrest me, haul me down to Jerusalem, put me on trial. Jesus said, did I mention that he's praying? Jesus said, I want you to go lay your hands on him and help him see. Ananias is thinking, right, what's the first thing he's going to see? My face, my Christian face. Jesus said, did I mention that he was praying? How many times did God call us? How many times does Jesus call us to go to our neighbor? He calls us. And he says, I want you to go to your neighbor. And I want you to do something for your neighbor. Care for them, serve them, love them, bless them, something. And we say back to Jesus, well, no, Jesus, not exactly because you don't, you don't know my neighbor. He's not all that into you. And I don't think he's going to be either. He's not the type. Not like the spiritual type. And Jesus calls, and we don't answer. And Ananias said to Jesus, you know, I've heard a lot about that Saul character. It's a big risk to go over there. But I'll go. And the history of the world changed. Because when Jesus called Ananias to go to Saul, he said to Ananias, I believe in him. And I believe in you. I'm calling you to do this because I believe in him and I believe in you. And we always focus so much on the fact that as Christ followers, we're supposed to believe in Jesus. 
And that's the whole story of the Gospel of John. Believe in Jesus, believe in Jesus, believe in Jesus. That's absolutely necessary. But we pay very little attention to the fact that Jesus believes in us. And when he calls us, he calls us because he believes in us. And when he calls us, he sends us. Over and over and over in the scripture, you see Jesus calls someone and then he sends that someone. And you see it again when you come to another story in Luke chapter 5. Let me read this story to you as well. This is the first this is the first story that I ever read to Lakeside Church 27 years ago when we started. This was the topic of day one here at Lakeside Church. Luke chapter 5, verse 1. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, which is another word for the Sea of Galilee, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night long and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Here's Jesus teaching at the lakeside. That's why we use it at the very beginning. It's like Jesus is talking to people next to the lake at the lakeside. Let's talk about that. Jesus is talking to people at the lakeside. He's giving them this sermon. And Jesus was kind of big news by this time. They didn't have social media. They didn't have ways of letting people know he's over there. He's over here. But people were just gathering everywhere Jesus went, these large crowds. And Jesus was trying to teach them, but it was so crowded that people, most people couldn't see and they couldn't hear what was going on, what was being said. And so Jesus sees some boats that some local fishermen had. He goes to one of the guys who owns one of the boats. He, it's, his name's Simon. We know him as Peter. He goes, hey, Simon, can I use your boat? And he's like, whatever. So he pushes out. Jesus gets in the boat. They push out from shore a little bit. And Jesus gives his whole sermon from the boat. And now the crowd can't crowd him. And the shore makes a natural amphitheater. And the water amplifies the sound of Jesus' voice. So now everybody can see and everybody can hear. I love the fact that the creator in the boat understands his creation. It's just a little side turn, but I love the fact that the creator in the boat knows his creation. I was up in Tahoe doing this planning retreat, this study break that I was taking a couple weeks ago, and I'm on the deck of this house. It overlooks Lake Tahoe, and I'm just, I'm just kind of, you know, it's early morning, and there's a couple boats out there, and I'm amazed. I'm constantly amazed if, if I get a chance to be there next to the water. How far sound travels over water? It's like, like water was designed to magnify sound. I wonder when God created the heavens and the earth and divided the dry land from the water, I wonder if God said, oh, and let's put a little magnification factor in the water so that when Jesus is teaching from the shore that day, he'll be able to get in a boat and go out to the sea, and then they'll be able to hear him. 
Don't you think the creator had enough creativity to think about that in advance? Jesus pushed off from the shore. He gives this sermon. It was an amazing sermon. And I think it was really important. But not quite as important as what comes next because the sermon's not recorded. I'm like, really? Jesus talked and we don't know what he said? Yeah, but we know the next thing that happened. The next thing was, hey, Pete, could we go fishing? That was important. In fact, I like the way Jesus fishes. Jesus, Jesus um, he says, hey, let's, sh- let's shove off from shore and why don't you guys grab your nets and we'll go out to the deep water and let's drop them out there for a catch. Jesus doesn't say to him, let's go fishing. He says, let's go catching. Peter's like, no, we've been out there all night, Lord. And besides, these are shallow water nets. We don't fish in the deep water. These are shallow water nets. This is not how we do it, you know. And we've been out there all night. And, okay, you're the rabbi. We'll go. And they push out there. As soon as they get to the deep water, they drop the nets. And the nets fill up so full that the boats are sinking. The nets are breaking. They call their partners in. They say, come on, help us pull all these things up on shore. And this miracle happens. Simon Peter is shocked and terrified, and he cries out to Jesus. He hits the deck of the boat, and he goes, Jesus, go away from me. I am a sinful man, which was a statement of truth and fear and curiosity. Like, I'd really like you to go away because you're making me really nervous. But what's next? What's coming? Because this is pretty amazing. And then Jesus calls him and sends him. He says, don't be afraid, Peter. From now on, you're not going to catch fish. You're going to catch people. As if that would have lowered his stress level. From now on, you're going to catch people. And, And Jesus called him, and he sent him. See, what happens is every time Jesus calls you, he sends you. And when he sends you, he sends you because he believes in you. And I believe Jesus wants to do what I would call ordinary miracles through you. But you have to decide to answer his call. How do you get to be like Jesus? See, I would love, there's just certain things that Jesus did that I would love to be able to do, and I'd love to be like Jesus in this kind of way. Like, I would love to be like Jesus in the ability to give sight to the blind. That would be remarkable. I love the fact that Jesus, this creative healer, never healed blind people the same way twice. He always did it differently. He always had some creative move that he's going to put on this blind person to let them see. I would love to be like Jesus to have the power to heal blind people. That would be amazing. But so far in my life, I don't have that power. I'm not like Jesus in that regard. I would love to have power like Jesus to walk on water. Coolest trip ever. To be able to walk on water. I'd be, like, I'd be just like Jesus if I could walk on water. But so far in my life, I don't have that gift. It would be so amazing to be able to raise people from the dead, just like Jesus did. To be able to have power to give someone their loved one back from the dead, that would be amazing. And if we had that, if I had that ability, in that way, I would be just like Jesus. But in all those things that Jesus did that were so miraculous, I haven't been able to do any of them yet. I'm trying to lead you to become just like Jesus, and I can't even do the miracles that Jesus did. This series that we're in the middle of, Like Jesus, it's about becoming like Jesus. But it's not necessarily about doing all the miraculous 
big things that Jesus did. See, there are ordinary miracles that Jesus performed every day. And they're the kind of ordinary miracles that you can do in your life every day. Ordinary miracles. Because what happened in Zacchaeus' life when Jesus called him? He just called him. He just said, hey, Zach, we're going to have lunch at your house. Would that be cool? That's pretty ordinary, just an invitation for lunch and a sleepover. But it became a miracle because the life of a tax collector was transformed and the oikos of a tax collector was transformed by an ordinary miracle. And when Saul was called by Jesus, his life was changed and the world was changed. Now, there was a miracle in there. There's a blinding light and all the stuff that went with that. And then Ananias came in. We don't know that he ever had the gift of healing before. But he comes in and he gets to give sight to, to Paul, the blind man. That's pretty cool. I don't have that gift. But when Jesus called Saul and then healed him, he then sent him out to do what Jesus wanted him to do. And when Jesus called Ananias, he sent him to Saul to do what he wanted to do. And when Jesus called Simon Peter, he then sent him out to do what he wanted him to do. In a lot of ways, ordinary miracles. See, you can be just like Jesus without having miraculous powers, without having superpowers. You can be just like Jesus if when he calls you, you answer. And then you call others, because that's what Jesus did. It's what Zacchaeus did. It's how his life was changed. When Jesus calls you, he then sends you. And when Jesus sends you, it's because he believes in you. And you go, why would Jesus ever believe in me? I mess it up all the time. Have you ever read Peter's story? He's not looking for you to be perfect. He's looking for you to say yes. He will do the transformation. He calls you and then he sends you because he believes in you. That's an extraordinary miracle. Jesus, I pray for us today. I am grateful that you are full of grace, full of truth, full of mercy. I'm grateful, Lord, that you, because you gave us your Holy Spirit, you have put in us a power to do ordinary miracles. You call us to love the people in our oikos. You call us to call them. And we sometimes want to refuse. We sometimes want to be the picker and chooser of who's going to respond to you or not. We don't even know if that person's praying. We don't even know if you're sending us in response to their praying. So, Lord, I just want to pray for me, and I want to pray for my friends here in the room, those of us who are followers of Jesus already. I want to pray that we would answer your call. 
and we would extend that call to someone else, and in that way, we would become like you. Jesus, we ask this by your name and by your authority, by your power. Amen.